Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, sick to fit and well start health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an awesome and active life. So today's guest is Dr. Jim Loomis, who you know, if you've seen the documentary, The Game Changers, Dr. Loomis appears in the uh, Cardinals baseball stadium talking about the effects of plant based diets on athletes and athletic recovery and athletic performance. And we got a chance to sit down and have a conversation. And one of the things I love about Dr. Loomis is how authoritative he is in a very gentle simple common sense and really compelling way like he's one of those folks that you just want everyone to listen to because he makes so much sense and he frames things in ways that we've never thought about him before but once we do think about him in that way it's really hard to go back so for for example um so the the paradigm of human health that he'd been taught as a medical doctor was basically this if i'm not sick then i must be well and so we have this binary, this either or that you're either well or you need to be on some sort of medication or need a procedure. And we completely ignore everything along that continuum, which, of course, is what lifestyle medicine and lifestyle is all about. And of course, this kind of thinking keeps medicine on, totally on the defensive because we have to deal with all these health problems that never needed to manifest in the first place. And doing the math for us, Dr. Loomis points out, and by the way, he has an MBA from uh, Wash U in St. Louis, so he, he knows something about money and finance. He says we spend about three and a half trillion dollars on health care in the United States each year, and about 80 percent of that is unnecessary if we would simply adopt simple and cheap lifestyle interventions instead of waiting until it gets to the chronic or acute uh, or now I'm sick Phase. One example that Dr. Loomis gives is diabetes. So we all know diabetes is categorized as a disease, a chronic disease by modern medicine. When he says it's actually not, it's nothing more than a normal physiological response to the abnormal patterns of eating that most of us have adopted in the West. And that physiological response in many people shows up as diabetes. Uh, so some fun facts about Dr. Loomis. So he's uh, appearing in the St. Louis Cardinals baseball stadium because he was the team doctor for the Cardinals for many years, as well as the 
St. Louis Rams football team. He was also the tour physician for the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, which I did not find out until after the interview. Otherwise, I would have asked him all about that. And uh, I think the um, the orchestra had an undefeated season when, when he was there. So, so kudos to everyone there. He's also an avid triathlete. And he, at the age of 60 this past year, competed in the Lake Placid Ironman. And he is very interested in the intersection of athletic performance and nutrition and health. And he promised to share his recovery smoothie recipe with us. I haven't gotten it yet, but as soon as I do, it'll be up in the show notes. Two real quick announcements before we get to the conversation. One is this is the last podcast of 2019. So I want to talk about the two big things that are coming up in 2020. One is the Sick to Fit New Orleans retreat. You can find out more at sicktofit.com slash NOLA. This is a an experiment in how you can be healthy in a very unhealthy macro environment. New Orleans is the most decadent city in the United States, probably when it comes to food and drink and partying. And Josh Lajani and I are going to show you how you can create a healthy micro environment around yourself, even when you're surrounded by unhealthy influences, so that you don't have to constantly white knuckle it. It'll be a fun trip. It'll be a group of us staying at a giant uh, Airbnb home. And we're going to roll up our sleeves, get it done, have a great time. Find out more at sicktofit.com slash NOLA, N-O-L-A. Also, if you are looking to make 2020 the year that you finally get in alignment with your goals, values, priorities, check out my laser coaching. It's a full year for far less than you would imagine. Unlimited 15-minute sessions to get you back on track and to get you sustainable so that you don't continually need me. You, you know, this is one and done. We're going to spend the year working out, working on these behavioral muscles until the point where you can really go into any situation confident that you can live according to those values. Find out more at plantyourself.com slash laser. And finally, if you're looking to make an end of year gift and you don't need anything I'm selling, but you appreciate the podcast and you appreciate that every single episode is free and that my newsletter is free, well, this is free for everyone and funded by those who can afford it. So if you can, if you'd like to make a monthly ongoing contribution over at patreon.com, just search for plant yourself, that would be much appreciated It would take some of the burden off of me as I put this thing out into the world every year. All right, let's talk about reversing the diseaseification of America without further ado. Dr. Jim Loomis, welcome to the plant yourself podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Howard. It's a pleasure. Yes, yeah, been this has been a long time. Uh, yeah, it has, but I'm glad we finally got together, and um, I'm really looking forward to chatting today. Yeah, so let's let's start by just you introducing yourself. I know people know you from uh, from the Game Changers, but yeah. uh, they just get a little slice of you. What what, yeah. uh, what, do you, what do you do, and where have you come from? So I'm uh, I'm uh, currently the medical director at the Barnard Medical Center here in uh, Washington D.C. Um, and we opened, actually, we're coming up on our four-year anniversary. We opened in uh, January of 2016. And we have a primary care clinic here that's, we, we do practice kind of more traditional primary care in one sense. But every single patient who comes here gets to learn that, that there might be a different path to being well. And with a, really a focus on plant-based nutrition. So we offer uh, nutrition counseling. We have our own dietitians here. 
We offer free classes to all of our patients. Uh, we, we do you know, weight loss programs. We have diabetes reversal program. Um, and it's really been amazing. Um, now, before that, I was in uh, St. Louis, Missouri for about 30 years. And, um, you know, I went plant-based in 2011. Uh, we, we can talk more about that in a minute. But I, I went plant-based for some of my own personal health reasons. And, and uh, like many patients, had tremendous results. And was trying to kind of practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based diets in St. Louis. But it was increasingly frustrating. I mean, you know, St. Louis is a great place to get sick. You know, Washington University, where I trained, um, you know, amazing doctors. But there was not one clinical plant-based dietitian in town. I mean, no, it was very difficult uh, to develop kind of the infrastructure around what I needed to help facilitate change. And it was becoming more and more frustrating, frankly. And when I heard Neil was opening the clinic here and and um, um, on a whim almost, he was looking for a medical director. And uh, um, I applied and, and um, within a few weeks had a whole new career. Wow. Well, a few things there. One, one is I think that would be a, a terrible city slogan for, for St. Louis, a great place to get sick. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a true statement. So, um, the other change in there. I mean, it is better uh, now. Uh, well, with Susan Benegas running around St. Louis, things have got to be changing. Oh, that's right. And, you know, my good friend Karen Dugan, who uh, St. Louis Bench Girl, she just opened the very first brick and mortar plant based culinary education center in the nation in St. Louis. Uh, where she offers uh, plant-based cooking classes and educational programming, um, um, I actually help her with that. And um, and and when I go back, she graciously allows me to help uh, teach cooking classes. So I'll be back in January. We have a couple cooking classes. I think we're pretty close to selling out already. Uh, but but you're right. Saint, there is a huge movement in St. Louis. I, I you know especially the last few years. Um, well, just like everywhere though, but, uh, you know, plant-based restaurants, um, and such, but, um, um, but you're right. Susan, Susan's pretty amazing. All right. The, the second thing that makes absolutely no sense is that January, 2016 is almost four years ago. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, a, it is kind of crazy. I don't know who's, I don't know who's in charge of the calendar. They need to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I mean, lots of, lots of questions. I guess one, one question before we go into kind of your journey and your backstory is, you know, at ACLM events and plantrician events, one of the main questions that people have who show up is, how can I make a living doing this? Like, it feels like there is a, 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 a chasm between how I want to practice medicine right. and how I'm going to get reimbursed for practicing medicine. So yeah. you've got this thing, you've got all these free classes, you've got all these things that 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 plant based and lifestyle based doctors would love to do, but right. are like turning themselves into pretzels trying to find the the codes to get reimbursed. Yeah. How do you guys how so, do you guys stay in business? Yeah, I don't know that we've got it completely figured out, but we're certainly getting there. And um I mean, the problem is, as you know, we're trying to put a round peg in a square hole because if you look at how, you know, the, because what we have today in the United States is not a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. And so so we are the whole system is designed to reimburse doctors for taking care of sick patients. And and, you know, the really the, the when you to, to really address the root cause, these lifestyle related issues. Uh, it does take time and it does take resources and the system isn't really designed to do that. And I think fundamentally, it's an interesting concept that I've really been thinking a lot about here lately. I think at a fundamental level, what's happened is 
we have diseaseified. Uh, I don't know if that's a word or not, but it should be. Um, we have diseaseified these chronic conditions like type two diabetes and and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and, 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 but they're not diseases, right? They're, those are normal physiologic responses to abnormal behaviors, right? But ooh, when we diseaseify, I got to write that down. <laughs> yeah, it, you know. So when we diseaseify them, we turn them into these things that we perceive we can treat, and so you know we put people on on diabetes medicine we get their a1c down to six and a half and we all pat ourselves on the back about what a great job we're doing but but that's not you know that's not that's not how you treat type 2 diabetes because type 2 diabetes is not a disease right um and and it does take time and effort and resources and so um we do we take insurance um like we, we participate in even some of the medicaid hmos here um what we're trying to do though is is really um leverage, you know, group visits, which is one strategy we've used, which has been very successful. So we can bring in 10 or 12 uh, patients at one time and over the same time frame, we might normally only see one or two. So, so that's one way we can, um, you know, expand our reach and, and revenue. Uh, we're really trying to expand our telehealth business, business, um, which kind of geographically removes us um, um, from the patient sometimes and, and allows more frequent follow-up where the patient, you know, DC, in D.C., we're in the middle of everywhere, in the middle of nowhere at the same time. You can live, you know, 10, 20 miles from here and it'd take you two hours to get here. So using telehealth and telemedicine um, is, is another strategy we, we've been using, which has really been popular and successful. Hmm. Um, and and does, does D.C., I never thought of this before, but, you know, like doctors in Pennsylvania d can't treat patients in New York unless, you know, right. like does D.C. have its own licensing board? Or they do. They do. And so what we've done is, is uh, so I have a D.C., a Maryland, Virginia license. We've just applied for uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware. And actually, we're looking at it even uh, uh, reaching out even beyond uh, that to, to look because there's so, because there's such a huge demand for lifestyle medicine, you know, from the patient side. Um, and, and not, not enough doctors right now to really meet that demand. So using leveraging telehealth, we also use, um, uh, you know, we have a nurse practitioner who, uh, we can build, use and build incident to, to do some of the follow-up. Uh, so we and we, we also offer our own medical nutrition therapy, which is reimbursed. Um, we just started a diabetes self-management education, um, and support uh, program, you know, which is reimbursed. Uh, we, we also have some programs. We just finished a 12-week weight loss program, which was a patient. It wasn't it wasn't patient care per se. It was open to the community, and um, and we um, um, you know we charged for that. So we're trying a lot of different strategies to try to make mm -hmm. this work um, because it is vitally important. I mean, the healthcare system we have today is not sustainable from a cost standpoint. And, and we have to start thinking about the the, the root cause, addressing these root causes. Right, but as as you do that. Aren't you, with as a, as a square peg in a round hole? Aren't you putting yourselves out of business? You know, so it's like all of a sudden, if Apple starts selling iPhones that can last for ten years, you know, and everyone dumps their Apple stock. Right. Well, when, Howard, when when two thirds of the U.S. population has type two diabetes or prediabetes, and seventy five percent plus is obese and over, or overweight, there we're not going to go out of business anytime soon. I guarantee it. Um, um, there, there's, there's a, there's a lot, there's enough work f for decades really to, to really help people understand the importance of this. And you know what? And if, 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 if I put myself out of business, I could retire. I mean, you know, think about, think about how many lives you would touch if you, if you could design a system where you didn't need, where the only time you needed to go see the doctor 
was when you know when you broke your arm or, or something like that. I mean, what an amazing world we would live in if we could divert these you know three point five trillion dollars we're going to spend on healthcare. CDC estimates eighty percent is spent on preventable diseases. Think about what we could do with that money. You know hiring teachers and nurses and rebuilding roads and paying for kids' education and on and on and on. I mean, it's just such a tremendous waste when you really think about it. Uh, and so, anyway, so you got me going here, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I can see all these uh, primary care physicians uh, um, sweeping tar and laying asphalt. <laughs> yeah. We, we have, now we have to rebuild America's crumbling infrastructure. Right, right, right. Um, so do the people who come to see you, do they know what they've gotten themselves into? Do they just think it's another medical practice or do yeah, they realize so, that they're entering, you know, the, the cult of health? So we, it's very interesting. So we, we kind of have several categories. Based. When we first opened, we had a, we, you know, PCRM, who's the parent organization of, of the Barnard Medical Center. We're actually a not-for-profit. Um, when we first opened, we had a lot of ethical vegans who came in who were very unhealthy. Right. So, so they, they eat junk food vegans who had the same issues that that everybody else type two diabetes. But but now we see patients kind of in three categories. Um, we see patients who are already plant based and we're starting to see a few more of those, actually. And, you know, they come in and they're they're all healthy and their cholesterol is 150 and they're you know not on any drugs. And we check their B12 and we pat ourselves on the back about how smart we are. Right. Um the the next probably that's a pretty small percentage about 60 percent or so come in because they've sought us out they've, they've got type 2 diabetes they've got high blood pressure they're on cholesterol meds they've got some autoimmune disease they've watched forks over knives they've read you know how not to die they've you know they've, they've read the china study and they go see their primary care doctor and the primary care doctor says well, that, you know, it's not really, those things can't be fixed with diet. Those people are quacks and on and on. And they come here for guidance. In fact, we, I just saw a lady yesterday who came up from Atlanta who had Crohn's disease um, and, and um, um, was told that there's no relationship between diet and Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, and those patients are pretty easy really because they've, they've, you know, we don't have to sell them anything. They're already bought in. So it's really about guiding them through the process of change. Um, we see some of those patients on a kind of a consultative basis. Some of them transfer their care. Um, and then, but we do have about 40, maybe 40, 45% of our patients who come, who have no idea what we do. Um, and, um, you know, they enter the, the gates of, of the cult of health, as you said, but you know, those are probably some of the more um, fulfilling, the, the, the ones that, that are, are gratifying to me because, you know, our whole healthcare system operates in this paradigm of illness, right? This idea, if I'm not sick, I must be well, right? Mm -hmm. So you have patients come in and they say, I say, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm doing great. My blood pressure is great on this pill. My cholesterol is great on this pill. My sugars are great on this pill. And, and no one has ever presented them with an alternative reality about what it really means to be well, because absence of illness does not mean you're well. It just means you're not sick, right? And, and, so, so if you think well, about it's also, it, it's also very time bound. That's exactly. like that's like saying, you know, the, the plane that's that's heading that flew off or the car that flew off yeah. the cliff yeah. Yeah. is doing great because it hasn't hit the ground yet. Right. No, exactly. That's exactly right. So that's what I was going to say. So if you think about our healthcare system, just just to digress for a minute, you know, what ends up happening is, if, you know, if this is well and this is dead. Right. Um, you know, people come in and it used to be in their 40s, but now we're seeing this in people in their 20s and 30s. You know, they come in and their blood pressure's high, right? Their cholesterol's high. So in med school, what was I taught to do? 
well, here's some pills, right? I might talk about lifestyle, but the whole conversation would be uh, lose some weight, cut back on your salt, exercise more. But implicit in my message was, I know you can't do that, right? So I'm going to give you these pills. And, and the pills work great. And you come back in six months, and, and now your cholesterol's high. So what do we do? We iterate it again, right? And then you come back, and now your sugars are high. We iterate it again. Then you come back, we've just delayed your stent. Then you come back, and you've got, you've got you know, breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer. And then you come back and you got Alzheimer's and, and, and we've run out of things to do. So you get to go to the nursing home. That's what we call healthcare. So, you know, we're, we're adding years to our patients' lives, but our, we're taking away life from their years, right? Mm-hmm. We're just trying to make it to 80. But we allow them to accumulate the disability that comes from chronic disease and the cost yeah. and the side effects and realizing it doesn't have to be that way. So, yeah. So I'm really I'm really curious about when you said like implicit in the advice, you know, lose weight, reduce your salt, exercise more is you're not going to do that. Where did that as you went through your medical training from med school to 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 resident, to all that, where did that become? Where did you learn that that this it's implicit that people aren't going to do it? Well, because. Well, because first of all, I received absolutely no training about lifestyle medicine, right? The little bit of nutrition I had was really glorified biochemistry, and it was really uh, a, a learning about what happened when you didn't get these certain vitamins or macronutrients. So, you know, if I didn't get enough, you know, B12, I got pernicious anemia. If I didn't get enough vitamin C, I got scurvy. And if I didn't get enough protein, I got kosher course. I mean, I've never seen a case of scurvy or, or protein deficiency, right? Um, we certainly didn't learn about how to counsel patients about lifestyle change. We didn't learn about the role exercise played. We didn't learn about stress management and sleep, right? And so so it, it's because if you think about it, we all want to practice evidence-based medicine, but who creates the evidence? Well, it's the pharmaceutical companies. There's no big kale or big blueberry or big exercise that's that's funding these studies. And so that's what we learned. And and because because it takes time. I mean, as you well know from, from your experiences, mm-hmm. you know, getting behavior change is very difficult. It's, it's a sense simple. The concepts are simple, but it's not easy because we're trying to unwind decades of learned behaviors around food and, you know, tr- how we make choices and environmental triggers and on and on. And so, so A, the infrastructure wasn't there for the time. We never had the time to, to, to really sit down and counsel a patient. We didn't learn the skills. No one learned, taught me about motivational interviewing and things like that. Um, and, and, and the pills work, right? So, so that's what we were taught to do because, because again, just like the healthcare system from a patient perception is, is in a paradigm of illness, that's the paradigm that physicians are taught to operate in, right? And, and so what's interesting about that construct you know, if you so, what's the root cause of every single one of those diseases? Well, it's the same stuff, right? Food that goes in our mouth, how much we move, how we stress, sleep, environmental toxins, tobacco, and, and alcohol. When we address those things, then we add years to our patients' lives, and and, and we sustain life in their years. So, so the curve looks like this, right? So mm-hmm. instead of look like this, it looks like this. So we, you know, as I think Kim Williams once said, you know, we all got to die. You just don't want it to be your fault, right? You got to take the eye out of die. <laughs> so but what's really interesting about that construct is it, at age 50, I'm sliding down this, this slippery slope of, of well of, of illness, uh, just like my patients, right? High cholesterol, sleep apnea, atrial fibrillation, borderline diabetes, you know, asthma, allergies, and, and 
and it's just, I and I know where that is headed right down the road. And and after seeing forks over knives personally and making some change, we can talk about it in a minute if you like. You know, I'm back up here now, right? So so when was the last time I was this healthy? So if you extrapolate, you know, like 30, 35. So I just turned 60 and people ask me how old am I? I tell them I'm 30 with 30 years experience, right? <laughs> but, but so, so you know, what that means is, is that when we practice true lifestyle medicine, we, we give our patients and, and ourselves really the ability to decouple our chronologic age from our biologic age, right? So, so we can become younger next year. And if you're already young and healthy, you can stay young and healthy. I mean, that is a powerful gift to give someone. And there are not enough drugs in the pharmacy to take someone who's down here back up to here. All the drugs are going to do is slow the progression down that slippery slope to, to, to when you die. Right. So, I mean, I do want to get to your story, but when you like, I never thought about it before, like who creates the evidence in evidence based medicine, like like that starkly. I've never had that thought before. And the problem is there isn't the same level of evidence for the things that we know right. work. So what? No, that's, what yeah. yeah, but because it's difficult, right? You, I mean, you know, the, the kind of the gold standard research is a double bind, placebo control, randomized trial, right? You can't do that in nutrition. Right. You can't take a bunch of babies and put half of them on a plant based diet and blind it to meat and switch them back. I mean, you know, it's just it's not ethical and it, and, and it, you just can't do it. So in in nutrition research, we have to rely on things like population study and epidemiology and associations. And then we have to think, you know, does the mechanism, does it make sense if if you compare two groups of people and one eat a lot of plants and one eat a lot of meat and the meat eaters get a lot of cancer? Does that make sense? Is there a mechanism? physiologically they could that makes sense that why that should happen and if you switch people from meat to plants does the risk go down and that's what we have to rely on and david katz has written a, a lot about that he has actually a book about it that explains that quite elegantly i think um and and so um you know so and if and again if you look at the preponderance of of the evidence around nutrition uh, you know plant-based nutrition is the only diet that I know of that's been clinically shown to improve health really, really across the board. And uh, I mean, speaking of uh, the research, so Neil just, just wrote a, um, got picked up by the Washington Post, an article, a study about the, uh, about study, uh, um, research funding by the egg industry mm. and how it skews the evidence around cholesterol. And it's really, it's really, uh, it's really um, an eye opening report to say the least. Right. All right. So let's let's go back to your your story. I mean, you, as you were getting sicker and sicker, you were also kind of like a big shocked doctor. Yeah. So right. So, you had, you have you had like and this is I find this so fascinating when I especially talk to to medical professionals yeah. is like what did you like how did the evidence overcome the entrenched ego and because it's so rare. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I had a, I really had an amazing career. I've been really blessed. Um, um, when I was uh, um, first starting into practice in the mid nineties, um, I had the opportunity to take care of the St. Louis Rams and got lucky. That was there for the greatest show on turf years and was there for two Super Bowls with Kurt Warner. And so that's really amazing. And around that time, I um, also became the team doctor for the St. Louis Cardinals and 
uh, Albert Pujols and really amazing experiences. Got to go to a couple World Series and had so, a Super Bowl. So how did, how, did, how did you get to be that doctor? I'm, I'm imagining there's a, that, that's those are pretty like gem positions. Like it, it's you know what? It's just being in the right place at the right time. Frankly, uh, when I first went into practice, one of my partners had been um, had been a um, um, the team doctor for the uh, Phoenix, uh, the Arizona, the St. Louis Cardinal football team that had moved to Phoenix. Okay. Yeah become the Arizona Cardinals. So when the Rams came to town in 95, uh, they were interviewing um, um, doc, uh, doc, various doctor groups, and they ended up picking Wash U as the orthopedic. That's where Larry drives it. I did the primary care. They didn't have an internist uh, in their package. And so mm-hmm. they reached out to my partner, uh, Bernie Garfinkel, and said, hey, you know, you're the only guy in town who has ever taken care of a professional. But then you, do you want to do it? Well, he was in his 70s and said, well, you know, it's a lot of work. He's got to travel. And he said, well, uh, I've got this young, energetic partner, and back then I was in pretty good shape, and and I was I was doing some triathlons and and, and such, and uh, if he if we can split it up and do it, we'll do it. So so he and I started taking care of the, the Rams, and we would alternate the away games and, and such, and alternate weeks at, at summer camp and such. And a couple of years later, so so when we would travel on the road, we would always go to dinner um, uh, the night before. We we travel with football. We go on Saturday to, for the Sunday game, and we always got to dinner with the with the orthopedic staff and the training staff. So I got to know the orthopedist quite well. And in 1997, the Cardinals decided to change um, uh, uh, team doctors, and once again selected uh, WashU. They didn't have a primary care doctor, and they said, "Well, we know that we got this guy who takes care of the Rams. Seems to know what he's doing. Players like him." You know, so I get a call one day. Hey, you want to take care of the Cardinals? So it was really just serendipitously, really. Um, uh-huh. So what that you- was before sports medicine was really a, a, a thing. Uh-huh. Right? Um, I had been interested in sports and nutrition, and this is it's it's interesting because you know I, I thought I knew a lot about sports nutrition and nutrition in general, um, but in retrospect, what I thought I knew was completely wrong. Right? Uh-huh. Because, like like what? Well, so, you know, I thought a healthy diet was low fat dairy and lean meat and and not too much ice cream. And, you know, if you ran if you ran a lot, you needed more pancakes and and carbon pasta. And if you lifted a lot, you needed more chicken and steak. Right. Kind Uh of the, the 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 standard kind of mythology around around how we fuel ourselves with exercise. And, and I could get away with that myself as long as I exercised enough, right? And in fact, if you would have asked me, you know, eight or nine years ago if I ate healthy, I would have said, sure, Howard, I, you know, I don't need that many, that much ice cream and I don't need that many cheeseburgers and I don't need that many donuts and, and pizza. And that was all true. Um, the disconnect was, you know, Monday the nurses bring cookies in the office and Tuesday there's donuts in the doctor's lounge and Wednesday I go out for a cheeseburger and fries or some pizza and Thursday it's someone's birthday so I have a cake and ice cream. Then Friday rolls around, I'm patting myself on the back because I didn't eat many cookies this week, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm moderating the trees and not seeing the forest. And I could kind of out-exercise that. But, you know, life would get busy and I'd stop exercising and then my pants would get tight and I'd cut back on the ice cream and exercise a little more. And, and so I was on this kind of yo-yo, this roller coaster ride that, that many of my patients were on as well. And in um, the fall of 2010, I had retired from the football and, and baseball um, um, uh, by that time. And um, I tore my meniscus playing with my dog. And um, I had to wait about three months to get it fixed because I was really busy at work. And so my, my leg got weak. And then so after surgery in that December, I, I didn't do it was difficult. The, the rehab was difficult because I had this weakness. And so I just kind of was you know, doctors are terrible patients. So I didn't do the rehab. 
And next thing I know, you know, I'm starting to gain weight. And, 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 and one day I went into atrial fibrillation. And it turns out it was irregular heartbeat. And it turned out the reason I had AFib was that I had sleep apnea uh, from the weekend. And so I had to wear a really sexy CPAP machine. And, you know, and was, I, that, was that from, from the gaining weight? Or were you yeah, it was from of... the gaining weight, yeah. Uh -huh. so, so, you know, now I've got a cardiologist. And now I've got a sleep doctor. And I finally go see my internist and get a physical. My cholesterol's through the roof. Um, I've got uh, borderline diabetes, right? And my doctor wants to, my internist wants to put me on a statin. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, like, yeah. and so, I, again, I know where this is headed, right? You know, in another few years, I'm going to be on metformin for diabetes and on and on. And one day I was laying on the couch, literally flipping through Netflix and saw Forks Over Knives. I'd never heard of it. Um, I, I knew what a vegan was. Uh, but to me, a vegan, you know, was someone that ate granola and hugged trees and wore Birkenstocks and tie-dye. And, um, and, you know, and, and again, in retrospect, I think we all have a lot of cognitive dissonance around where our food comes from and the ethics and compassion that we don't have oftentimes um, um, around our food. But that that's not what drove me to, to go to a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. I came to the office the next day. I was on the faculty at WashU, went through some of the primary research, and literally that night said, you know what, I'm going to do this for three months, and I'm going to get my knee back in shape. So this so was in July of 2011. So literally went plant-based cold turkey, right? Got rid of meat, dairy, tried to get rid of as much of the processed stuff, oils, and, and you know stuff I could, and then started a rehab program on my knee, which I should have done you know, six, eight months before. Mm -hmm. In three months, I lost 40 pounds without any change in exercise. And my cholesterol dropped 100 points, and my sleep apnea went away, and my my AFib went away, and my allergies went away, and my mm. exercise-induced asthma went away, and I was able to start exercising again. And um, so that next year in 2012, I did uh, three or four half marathons. 2013, I did a, a half Ironman. And, and at that point, I thought that was kind of the pinnacle of my uh – -huh. that, that was yeah. – You know what? Can, can, we, can we put a pin in it because I want to yeah. – explore some of the old stuff before yeah. we before we right. keep going um so like one thing that i'm thinking of is like so you're you're lying on the couch your health is deteriorating you right. are you are as well educated on health as as you know anyone in america essentially mm -hmm. right like yeah yeah and a documentary on netflix of all things right, right. and you you watch it and there's something there's something about it or that just has a ring of truth that makes you exactly right. Well, well, first of all, what was it about the movie that that reached a medical professional who who already knew everything there yeah. was to know about health? You know, we hear you hear the term food is medicine, but but it just never, you know, we, the, 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 but but to see. It just, you know, I don't know if there was one thing. It just clicked. It, it was like, oh, my God, that's the answer right there. It was like this light bulb went off. It wasn't one thing. I, th I think it was the the arc of the movie itself, just, just mm -hmm. you know, the patients that reversed their disease. And I'm like, wait a minute, this makes complete sense. How come I didn't think of this before? How come I never learned this before, right? <laughs> and um, and it's very interesting. So, so, you know, a few months later, I go to the doctor's lounge where I was. I was at a suburban hospital in, in St. Louis. And um. I'd lost a ton of weight. People thought I had cancer. I'd lost so much weight pretty quickly. And, and I was sitting there and uh, a, one of my colleagues who, who I actually was a specialist, I referred patients to with metabolic diseases. He said, wow, you look great. You've lost a lot of weight. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I saw this documentary, Forks Over Knives, and I, I went on a plant-based diet. 
And he said, well, that's not healthy. And that those, that's just getting nutrition information from a documentary. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> and he says, and I had brought in some, you know, lentil soup or something I'd made. And he says, well, I had those same, I have metabolic syndrome, prediabetes. And I find if I can exercise, you know, it's fine, but I'm really busy and I don't exercise. And he's sitting there eating like a ham and cheese sandwich and a soda and some chips and a, and a chocolate chip cookie. And, and, and I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know what, you know, unhealthy, Three months ago, I'm sitting here, and I still got the, you know, I got the marks from my CPAP machine on, you know, my face, and I, you know, I get out of breath going up the stairs. That's not healthy, right? So it's crazy. I mean, I, I you know, even in the medical community, I got a lot of people thought I lost my mind, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then, so, but then, so you watched. You said you watched the movie, and then you went in and you started doing the research, looking right. at the primary research. Like right. I, I have a recurring dream that I'm finding a new room in my house. Yeah. Right. Like, like this, you know, every, every few months I get like, it is so exciting. And yeah. I'm one, like, that's the image that I got is like, right. you're, you're looking at the same things at PubMed, at Medline, yeah. At, yeah, yeah. at all that stuff. And all of a sudden, like this stuff shows up as, as well documented right. as anything. Right. And then you realize you know, someone asked me that I get angry and no, no, I did. I didn't learn this. And I didn't. You know, I think I think anger and resentment's not the right. You know, it was empowerment and enlightenment is what I receive, you know, what I gained from this. But, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist study has been published since the 1950s. Right. So this stuff's been out there forever. But 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 I never learned it. And and um, and, and again, you know, the whole medical education system isn't designed to teach it. Uh, but boy, once you start to turn over the rocks, I mean, there's so much, I mean, it's, it's irrefutable, uh, the, the evidence, uh, now. And, and I think what the other problem is, you know, we all get caught up in a busy practice and you don't have time to read the journals. And so you go get your CME at grand rounds or some conference and, you know, it's just, it just, there, it just, it just perpetuates the treatment you already know. You go, you know, you want to learn about how to take care of heart disease. What do you learn about statins and stents, Right. You want to go learn about diabetes, you learn about insulin and, and drugs. I mean, because it's just self-perpetuating. So so that's my ongoing education. Just just fed yeah. into what I already knew. Yeah, I haven't thought about this before, but I'm wondering, like not to be a conspiracy theorist or, or an alarmist, but, you know, like any system is designed to perpetuate itself. And the fact that doctors have so little time. Right. I wonder if there's some bit of that that is designed to keep you from thinking outside of the medical paradigm. So, you know, people talk about that. You mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, the doctors don't want to do this because they'll put themselves out of business. I don't I don't know that it's that I don't know that it's some nefarious, nefarious kind of thing. I don't I don't know that it's it's a system that's been designed by, you know, people behind a curtain that are manipulating the you know, the, the, the levers, I just think it's, but, but that being said, certainly, um, there's a lot of money to be made, you know, pharmaceutical industry, medical devices, hospitals, there's not a lot of incentive to change the system. That's for damn sure. Right. Uh, there's and, not, there's not a lot of incentive to look in other places. Right. No, that's right. No, that's right. right. Like the way, and, you know, the way you did on the couch. No, that's exactly right. And, and you know, what, what's the number one revenue source for most big hospitals? Where do they get most of the revenues? Coronary bypass surgery, right? Mm. And we do 300,000 
bypass surgeries a year or some god awful number like that. And, and they're what, it, like 100, 150,000 each? Yeah, or more than that. And, you know, yet we think that, you know, going plant based is extreme, but getting your chest sawed open and, and, you know, taking some veins out of your leg is like, okay, that's insane, right? That you <laughs> think about it. <laughs> right. I just tried to, to do the number in my calculator that goes to 11, you know, I just got an error. Like, yeah, right. right. The calculator can't, it's can't. a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, again, $3.6 trillion is a lot of money. And then that's going to be healthcare costs in the U.S. this year, somewhere around there. Right. And before, before we, we, we keep going in your story, I'm curious, like what very few medical professionals get to work with sports teams and right. with two. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine two sports as different yeah. as baseball and football in terms of the right. requirements for right, right. performance. What right. did you, what did you learn from those experiences that that have that has, you know, informed the rest of your career up till now? Well, I think that. Um... You know, to, to perform at that level. So first of all, I learned that that I would I could no matter I could no matter how much I trained, if I had access to the best trainers and the best nutrition, top of the line nutrition, I could never be a professional football player, or professional baseball player. But there is an inherent uh, level of talent uh, which which I didn't don't have. Right. Uh -huh. uh, so that's number one. Uh, that, that this is the top of the, these are the, the top of the top. And the athletic achievements that these guys was just insane. And a lot of it was despite the lifestyle that they led, right? This, despite. Right. Like, so well, like you had been doing for a, a while. Know, partying a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, it, you know, exactly. Um, like if you're, if you're, if you're, I, if, you're learned, if you're really athletic for a while, you can, you know. That's right. You, right. you know, it's, it's when you tear your meniscus that all of a sudden you realize how fragile that That's right. is. And, and, and another takeaway, I think more and more, not so much from a health standpoint, is that that, you know, the best of the best, the guys like Albert Pujols and, and Kurt Warren, those guys, I mean, every time they showed up at practice or the or game, they wanted to leave the stadium or leave the lock, leave the facility that day better than they were before. And so the work ethic and also that, that you know, that, that to perform at that level, you've got to take care of not only your, your, your body from a physical training standpoint, but also, you know, nutrition standpoint and, and, and rest and recovery and not partying too much and all that. And, mm -hmm. and you know, some of that I, I, I knew, but kind of ignored. But, mm -hmm. but um, were, were any of those guys eating in a way that was better than you knew? No, uh, not really. Uh, I mean, the typical spread, it, it was, you know, in game chairs, they talk about it. The typical spread pregame meal would be a big, huge thing of pasta. A, this for the Rams. A big thing, thing of pasta, a big thing of chickens and steak, right? I mean, it was, you know, mm. carbs and protein, right? I mean, you know, and you go to the, you go to the, and, and you, and, and, and so in fact, when I would try to get healthy, you know, when I, I mean, I would work out, I, that's what I thought too. Well, these guys are big and strong. I got to do this too, right? So you go to the Cardinal locker room. There was literally like blenders all around with big tubs of whey protein, right? So you get your protein shake. So I'm, you know, drinking protein shakes because hey, that's that's how I'm going to get big muscles and big and strong, right? Okay. How how yeah. many years were you with the Rams? I was there uh, ninety five till about oh three ish oh two oh three. Okay, so se se Cardinals. seven eight years. Yeah, yeah, and Cardinals ninety seven, so about ten eleven years with the Cardinals. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, the reason I'm asking is that, you know, pro football players don't live very long right, on average. Right. I'm wondering if you sort of experienced that. So guys at the end of their career, when you were starting out dying, 
Yeah. So, so, you know, the, certainly there were many of them that were starting to develop cardiometabolic issues. So, so things like prediabetes, cholesterol, borderline blood pressure, sleep apnea, things like that, especially the big guys, right? The offensive defensive linemen, mm-hmm. uh, those were the guys that, that, that really, um, where that, that where their health was starting to deteriorate. But, you know, the average, I mean, people just aren't, it's very rare to be in the NFL more than three or four years on average, right? For a guy to last 10 or 15, you know, Tom Brady, that's that's like no one does that, right? right. Is out there for 10 or 15 years. Gotcha. So, okay, so now it's um, 2013, 2014. You yeah. have, you have, silenced any any inner critics of your own oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're um you're becoming more active now right and so so and i and after i did the half iron man i thought I, I mean that was such a huge accomplishment for me i i'd been a pretty competitive athlete when i was younger i'd run run track in college and was a pretty competitive road runner back in medical school you know 250 marathon or you know, so pretty, pretty good. Um, but then, and, and I'd done some triathlons in my early, in the late, uh, late 80s. But then again, you know, got married and had kids and things just kind of fell off. And I would exercise, but I certainly wasn't very athletic. And and so I started to get back into the triathlon scene. And I started to be uh, competitive in my age group back in St. Louis. And, and then I moved to D.C. and my training kind of fell apart a little bit. And um, I mean, I was still active. And uh but as I, as I approached my 60th birthday this last summer, I really wanted to do something epic for that. So about a year last fall, at, at uh, actually, at, I think, plant, either the Plantrition Project Conference or ACLM, I started to entertain the thought of doing a, a full Ironman to celebrate my 60th birthday. I thought, right, then this would be a great idea. I'm going to try to kill myself for my 60th birthday, right? <laughs> and so after a lot, I knew what I kind of knew what I was getting into, although you never know until you do it how how what you really get what you're really getting to so a year ago october um um, i decided to to do it and i and i signed up for lake placid ironman so i spent about nine the next nine months uh in training very intensely uh and went through it was very uh um you know it was probably one of the most challenging for for a variety of reasons Uh, we had some kind of all in the same time frame i'd signed up for this ironman and um one of the other clinicians here, uh, the other full-time physician here, uh, announced he's moving, relocating, you know, to South Dakota. And the two nurse practitioners both go out on maternity leave in the middle of my training. So, all, you know, all of a sudden, I'm managing 5,000-plus patients by myself, you know, as we're in, and, and, and trying to train for an Ironman. And I can tell you, I, I, uh, I wanted to give up a few times. But I, it's interesting. I had made it public. So I had started – I had announced kind of on Facebook that I was going to do this Ironman. So I started posting my workouts, right? And I'd post a workout and, you know, 30 mile bike ride. And I'd say, you know, 48 weeks to Ironman. So it was already out there. And so by then I, I, you know, for me to quit, I couldn't do it because I had already put it out there and made it public. And, and, and I, you know, so that drove me to, to kind of on those cold mornings when I had to get up and go swim, uh, but it was pretty tough. I had to dig deep many times to kind of stay engaged. And I've learned a lot about myself from a resilience standpoint. And uh, and, and I did the Ironman and, and finished. And, I, you know, I think that the biggest lesson I learned from that experience was uh, that the only 
the only thing that's truly impossible is the thing you never try, right? Mm. So, so yeah. doesn't mean you're going to be yeah. successful. But if you don't engage and, and try, you're never going to be successful. And also, the human body is capable of some pretty dang amazing things when you when you treat it right. And I am, I mean, I am sure that there is no way I could have done that 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 training volume and recovered as fast as I did at 60 years old without being on a whole food plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had min- the whole time, I mean, you know, I'm working out toward the end 20, 30 hours a week and I'm not sore. I'm not stiff. I mean, it's, it was mm-hmm. crazy. It was crazy. So did you apply any medical technologies to yourself to kind of check on it more than like a normal human? No, window? I did not. I did a lot of research around nutrition though. So that I, I really dialed that in, and so I did a lot of research about muscle recovery, uh, you know, fueling myself, carbohydrate loads, and things like that. And and so and I experimented around. I, my original plan was to was to make uh, design some homemade portable stuff in the kitchen, but but um, after things got really kind of incredibly crazy and hectic here at work, I just didn't have time because I you know, I was working twelve fourteen hour days. And so, you know, Friday, Friday, I, I got 12 hour a day and then I got a seven, eight mile run after work. And then I've got a 60 mile bike ride the next day. Seven miles. I don't have time to go home and experiment with making, you know, rice balls stuffed with sweet potato. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so I ended up just using a commercial uh, product and then, uh, you know, but I, I measured it all. I had the math all down. Yeah, go ahead. Most important thing was, though, I just I, I did a lot of research. So I had a recovery shake I was using where I use tart cherry juice with uh, some frozen kale and frozen blueberries and a couple of frozen bananas. And I put uh, some turmeric and ginger and uh, cinnamon and a little black pepper and some uh, chia seed. And mm. I would drink that after I worked out. And I'm, I am convinced that, that that's what really allowed me to, to exercise at the level I to recover. At least. Ooh. Can, can we get that, uh, that recipe for the yeah, show? Sure. Notes? I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, one, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, like there is for good reason, a, I would call it a dogma in the whole food plant-based community that just, just eat a variety of whole plant foods and you'll be fine. You don't have to worry. Yeah. You know, and when people start out, when they shift from McDonald's or, you know, lean meat and and fat free milk, like, yeah, they do really well. But I think it's I'm also experiencing like as as a competitive athlete and as working yeah. with other competitive athletes that there are higher levels that it's not as simple as, hey, just eat a whole bunch of things. Right. We can also no. we can up our game the way you described. No, I think that's true. And, I you know, I think, too, in a, you know, um, especially today is, is plant-based foods are more readily available. The other thing I, the other problem I think is, and, and there's a lot of debate around this in the plant-based community, you know, some of these plant-based foods say like the impossible burger, for example, right? Possible burgers mm-hmm. better for the environment, certainly better for the animals, but may not better be better for a patient who's trying to lose weight or lower right. their cholesterol or perform athletically. Right. Because it's still fairly highly processed, fairly anti-inflammatory. I think it's, I think it's great for as a transition food. And I think it's, it's important for the environment. I mean, I get all that, but you're right. If I'm training for an Ironman, I, you know, last thing I need to do is loading up on, on impossible burgers. And, um, well, and I was, I wasn't even thinking about those kinds of foods, but even just like eating a whole food plant-based diet, 
without doing the kind of research you did like oh, there, no, like I, there I, are like I'm start. I was very much against the idea of superfoods. I thought they were just regular foods with a with a marketing budget. But I'm, the more you know, I'm studying, um, you know, nootropics a little bit. And yeah, like, there yeah, is there's stuff that's a higher level. It looks no, like that's true. That's true. And it's interesting. So I give a talk. I have a talk I give about athlete about you know, optimum nutrition for optimum performance. And, and, and to, to kind of to your point, you know, I think one thing we forget. You know, in reality, there's no one diet for athletic performance and one diet to reverse diabetes and one diet to prevent breast cancer and one diet that's good for the environment. I mean, it's really all the same stuff because it, it, it you know, if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, we are all designed physiologically, biomechanically, me metabolically to be athletes, right? Because we had to be athletes to survive because we had to go hunt and gather food or run away from fight leopards to, 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 you know, get to the, to find our mate and pass on our DNA, which is the whole reason we're around. And, and so, and the other thing I think we forget, we, we all perform athletic activity, most of us, every single day, right? When you carry your groceries in from the car, right, uh, you're being athletic. When you, when you carry your laundry up from the basement, you're being athletic. When you give your kid a piggyback ride, you're being athletic. Now, some people are more athletic than others, but, but, but at a fundamental level, What's good for Isaac Bruce, you know, a football player or Scott Jurek or you or me is good for everybody. Now, that being said, at the upper end, um, there are some nuances, right? So, so when you're going to run an ultra marathon or you're going to do an Ironman or you're going to you're competing for in a bodybuilding, there are some some things that are um, that you do need to pay closer attention to, you know, the anti-inflammatories and cutting, you know, cutting back carbs. So there's some very nuanced things, but for 99% of the people that that doesn't apply. And I think that's a very important point when we talk about sports nutrition, that, that, that we are all, we are all evolutionary designed to be athletes. We should all be athletic and, and we should all eat like athletes. Right. But, but, you know, we've got this notion that athletes eat this and, you know, they, they do this one thing and I, and I, you know, I, I, I do this other thing and, and it's just not, that's not the case. Right. So, I mean, it's so weird to think about it that, you know, that a professional athlete has to be at the top of their game, but the rest of us don't. Whereas exactly. th throughout most of human history, we had to be at the top of our game, not to win Super Bowl rings, but to not get eaten. Or not starve. Or not starve. No, that's exactly right. That's that's exactly right. And I, you know, it's, you know, again, and, and again, if you think about what, what kind of foods are as human beings, what kind of food are we designed to eat? Right. Well, this idea that our, you know, there's no such thing as a paleo diet, right? But there were certainly ancestral dietary patterns, and in 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 in, in temperate climates, I'm not talking about Inuits, you know, subarctic. We were not hunter gatherers. We were gather hunters. But what we gathered was whole food, unprocessed plants, right? Roots and stems and leaves and seeds and fruits and nuts and vegetable layers. There was no white flower tree or canola oil bush or Dr. Pepper nut, right? <laughs> I mean, these highly processed foods and food dyes and artificial sweeteners, we're not designed to put that stuff in our gas tank. We didn't have dairy because we hadn't domesticated other mammals, right? That didn't occur until seven, 8,000 years ago. And if you think about what dairy is, it's a biologic fluid that takes baby mammals and turns them into big mammals. And, and each mammal, each species evolve milk to meet that species needs. So unless you're a baby cow, look in the mirror and see a baby cow looking back at you, we don't need to be drinking cow's milk, right? 
Now, we did eat meat historically. It just wasn't very much. But the meat we ate came from wild animals, not cows and pigs and chickens, stuff full of corn antibiotics and hormones, which is another form of processed food. But I would argue our ancestors did probably did have a survival advantage to having concentrated animal fat and protein because they needed to get big and strong, get away from the leopard before they died of some infectious disease when they were 30. Right. So they didn't have to worry about if I eat too much red meat, am I going to get cancer because they were already dead. And through sanitation and antibiotics, we've almost tripled our lifespan. So, again, we've unmasked all these chronic problems, which have been all been associated with the overconsumption of animal fat and animal protein and processed foods. And then you take one step further back and think about the environmental consequences of how we raise animals today, not to mention how we treat the animals. I think you can make a very strong argument that the optimum diet for human health, human performance, you know, planet's health, and obviously the animal's health is a whole food plant-based diet. So, you know, when I talk to patients – that's the approach that that's how I frame healthy living. Right. All right. So I think this makes a great segue into your latest brush with fame, which is um, as a medical expert for the Game Changers. Yeah. So yeah. first question is, how, how did you get involved with that project? Well, that's a crazy story, too. Uh, and, it, and so um, indirectly, I can blame Susan Benegas for that. So so um, I was out to dinner uh, one night in St. Louis, and uh, Susan's husband is a clinical psychologist who I knew professionally, and uh, I ran into him at dinner, and, and I'd lost all this weight, and he said, I'd never met Susan, and she's, and, and, and uh, Susan, by the way, for those who don't know, is the executive director of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and one of the co-founders of the Plantrition Project. Um, right. and, she, and she has roughly as much energy reserves as Saudi Arabia. Yes, yes that's exactly right. So, so her husband says, wow, you look great. You know, you okay? I said, yeah, you know, I went on a plant-based diet. Well, Susan's eyes got this big and said, oh, my God, I'm in that space. I'm um, planning this very first plant-based nutrition conference in, in uh, Naples, Florida. This is like 2013. And I'd love for you to write. I told her the story. and I'd love for you to write a little blog post, right, for a press release to go out. So mm -hmm. this press release goes out. It mentions Forks Over Knives. A couple days later, I get a phone call from Brian Wendell, the producer of Forks Over Knives, who says, I read your blog, your, your, your press release. That's an amazing story. Would you write a blog post for us, number one? And number two, I want you to – so John Corey, who had helped Brian with the film early on, was working with James Wilkes. He says, I want you to meet this guy, James – I want you to talk to John Corey and meet James Wilkes, who's working on this documentary on plant-based athletes. So – that's how it all started. So James, we, I, I meet James, and and so th they started that project, you know, six, seven, six years ago, six, seven years ago. And the first iteration of it, James, I think, had bought a handheld camera off Craigslist or something like that. And they came out to I was in St. Louis and came out, and they had a, a guy with a boom mic and a camera, and James just interviewed me in my office, and and um um and then the, the things they started to attract a lot of interest and. Um, um, they put the project on hold for about a year, I think. And that's when they brought on Joseph Pace and they got Louie on board, the Academy Awarding Director, and James Cameron came on board as executive producer. And um, so by then I had moved to, to – so it was kind of almost like a do-over, right? So I had moved to D.C. Mm -hmm. by then. So I was – I called my friends at the Cardinals and um, um, and they were graciously allowed us. They had just gone to spring training. So I came back to St. Louis and they let us borrow Bush Stadium. Uh, <laughs> I was going to uh, say where, that where, didn't where, look like a green screen. I, yeah, where I interviewed. No, that was in the stands at Bush Stadium. Uh, and uh, what, what an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. So I assume you've seen the film. Uh, about Yeah, about 50 times. Mm -hmm. Actually, as a matter of fact, I was in uh, just in Saudi Arabia last week uh, at the very speaking of the very first 
plant-based uh, a lifestyle medicine conference in Saudi Arabia. And they actually showed uh, Game Changers subtitled in Arabic. Uh, oh, wow. So it's worldwide. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I just uh, last uh, this this week I had James on the podcast yeah. and we were talking about uh, you know his his uh, turn on the Joe Rogan podcast debating. Yeah. So what from your perspective, what does and doesn't the game changers prove? I think the game changers has three fairly simple messages, and I think it's they're stated in a, in an elegant way. And I think pe- the, a lot of the pushback I think comes from people who weren't paying it, didn't see the movie, frankly, or weren't paying attention because all the movie said was, "You you don't need to eat meat." to be big and strong and fast and run a long ways. You can do that on plants. And if you don't eat meat, you will be healthier and the planet will be healthier. That's all it said. It didn't say you can't perform on if you eat animals or you have to eat plants to survive or, you know, whatever. that wasn't the message. The message was you don't have to eat animal products to perform. And here's a lot of different athletes from all different disciplines, strength and, and endurance who are obviously performing. Here's the science to support that. And again, if you don't eat meat, you'll be healthier. Here's the science to support that. And the planet will be healthier. Here's the science to support that. So that's all it said. And I think all this, some, a lot of this pushback and stuff is just, just nonsense, mm-hmm. frankly, um, because it is a simple message and it's, and it's all true. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think it was ex center center from New York, Daniel, Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said to paraphrase, we can all have our own opinions, but we can't have our own facts, right? <laughs> the good old <laughs> days. Well, yeah, we live in an alternative world of facts these days, but the facts are the facts and the facts are right. That, that, that mm-hmm. you, you can perform at a very high level, not eating meat and, and frankly, I, you know, what's interesting is, is I've had the pleasure to really get to know and become friends with many of the, those athletes and, and many more that aren't in the film. And, and it's the recovery, I think, is what everyone talks about. It's pretty amazing. And, and at the L.A. premiere, I had the opportunity to speak with Chris Paul, you know, the NBA uh-huh. player, perennial all-star. He said something very interesting to me, which, which really blew me away. He, he's only fairly recently gone plant-based and uh, he's like 35 and, 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 and has had some issues with injuries in the last few years. But he said when he went plant-based, he didn't want to tell anybody, right? Now, a few years ago, you didn't tell anybody because they would have made fun of you, right? right? He didn't want to tell anybody because he felt like it gave him such a competitive advantage. He didn't want to give away the secret. It's like he found the magic elixir, right? <sighs> That's an astounding statement if you think about it, right? So, right. Yeah. So given, given that uh, and given the game, like how how do you see like what is the effect of the game changers been, first of all, you know, on you personally? I don't know if you get recognized, but yeah, I do. But so, yeah, let's yeah, start so with let's start with that. That's funny. Yeah, so, fun so it's not that. So I don't I don't get rec- So some people said you look familiar. But what's happened? Like I, I was at the uh, Lifestyle Medicine Conference in Orlando and. Uber driver says, you know, oh, what are you here for? I'm going to this conference and it's about plant-based diets and, you know, I'm in, in lifestyle management. He says, oh, have you seen that documentary, The Game Changers? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it's pretty amazing. So I, I'm, I belong to a number of Facebook groups, uh, you know, uh, marathon Facebook groups and ultra runner Facebook groups and Ironman Facebook groups. And they're not, they're not plant-based groups. Right. Um, there's literally hundreds, thousands of people. And they have been filled up the last couple months with people uh, wanting saying you know I've just gone plant-based um, 
um, I've just gone plant-based and uh, um, I saw game changers. I want to go plant-based. Is anyone else in the, in the, in the, um, uh, in the group plant-based? Can you give me some guidance? And that, I mean, it's amazing. I think uh, Google search, right? So since October 16th, when it went on to, I think October, it went on to Netflix. Um, Google searches for plant-based diets have gone up about 300%, right? So it's having a profound effect, uh, I think much greater than anyone could have ever imagined. Yeah. So do you think that now that Chris Paul has come out with his plant-based diet, that it's going to, you know, because athletes like our, you know, any sort of athletic um, community, all they want is the slight edge. Like if right. you're a bicycle racer, if there's no, if there's a, a nut that costs seven hundred dollars that can yeah, right, save right. that can save you two seconds over a hundred and twenty mile bike ride, you people yeah. will pay it if they can. No, that's right. That's right. I think I think that's true. And so, and it, but it's not only just the other athletes; it's all the millions of fans who follow Chris Paul because. You know, sports, we want to emulate our heroes. We buy their jerseys, we buy their hats, you know, we, we wear the numbers, we, 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 we idolize them. And, and so we all want to be like them, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I think that, that, that's the, that that's one reason the Game Changers is so powerful because, you know, it's reaching a broad audience of people who may not have been as receptive to the message because of these preconceived notions around bro science and all that. Um, um, and, and so that, again, I think, and I think James and 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 Joseph and Louis did such an amazing job uh, with the arc of the story to make it entertaining, to make it scientific, to make it educational. And you know, it's really a compelling uh, movie, if you will. Right. You know, so one one thing before the like this was like two and a half years ago, I think, well before the movie came out or was on anyone else's radar besides those of us in the know. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with a couple of guys from the Chicago Bulls organization mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're like they're into like running with the Bulls. They have these five K's. The Bulls go yeah. into schools and talk about, you know, exercise, but they didn't want to touch nutrition right. because they were afraid of the economic ramifications of um, pissing off the concession Right. Which, which is where they get. Mo- Have you seen anything in any sport? I know there's like a soccer team or you know a football team in England that that changed their vegan to concession. But but it's sort of like a major American sporting franchise, even beginning to offer healthier options at the stadium yeah, or the I, field. I think, um, yeah, I think uh, Pitts. Uh, I think that uh, if I recall, so the Pitt, Pittsburgh Pirates, I think have done some stuff around that. So I, it is starting to change. Certainly, just getting plant based options in the concession stands, right? But um, but it is a challenge because money, you know, money talks. It's, it's very interesting. Um, the other place we've gotten a little bit of traction with Game Changers, which you might not expect, is in the military. Right. Mm. So so I'm on the faculty at the Uniformed Services University for Health Sciences here in Bethesda, Maryland, which is the, the military medical school. Um, and as we tried to engage them around health and healthcare costs, you know, we have no interest whatsoever. But when we start change, we flip the dialogue to performance and readiness that started to perk up some years, right? But the, the problem is, though, the food service industry and military bases, you know, that's all contracted out. It's billions of dollars, really. And, you know, it's a lot cheaper to serve pizza and, you know, frozen chicken nuggets than it is to serve fresh. Right. Although I, I bet they don't, they, they don't skimp on jet fuel. 
No, right, exactly. So, so we have started to get some traction. We we got it. We had a screening at Uses. We had a screening at the Defense Health Agency. We're working on a screening at the Pentagon. So, we are starting to get some traction. But, but it again, it's the concession money, though. This the money and the food services, which is really holding some of that back. But mm-hmm. I think people are starting to understand um, it, it, at a fundamental level how important this is. All right. And I'm wondering if some of the athletes are going to start to see, you know, may, maybe they're not all going to have like car dealerships when they retire. Maybe some of like I know Tom Brady did a deal with Purple Carrot to have, right. like, you know, TB12 right. um, that, you know, if they can t- if they tie, if Chris Paul ties his success and his resilience right. to a plant based diet, maybe yeah. he'll come out with a burger. No, or- I think I know that's exactly right. Um, um, I, and, and not only that, the entertainment industry, we I had the opportunity to spent some time with Marco Borges recently, you know, who, who is the one who got brought Jay-Z and Beyonce over to the, the plant-based way of eating. And um, they've had a tremendous impact um, amongst their followers uh, and, and, and helping people turn, you know, understand and transition to vegan diet. So, um, so, so it's not just, it's not just the athletes. It's, you know, also um, in the you know, entertainment industry. Etc. Right. And the last thing I want to ask you about is so when the, when I first saw the Game Changers, the theme was different. It was about it was like a sociological examination of meat and masculinity. Right. And so when I finally saw the a finished version, you know, there were all these women. What do you right. do, what do you see as like you know women's sports in many ways is just exploding onto consciousness right. from you you know the women's soccer, Megan Rapino to, right. um, um, you know, gymnastics to some right. like what, what is what's your take on how women in sports can help further the plant based message in a way maybe that men are, are going to find it harder to. Well, I, you know, if, if you look at, 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 you know, if you look at across society, I mean, most, you know, who are the healthcare decision makers? You know, it's not the men, right? It's the women. <laughs> you know, this happens all the time. Patient, what brings you in? And my wife told me to come. Right? <laughs> um, they also make the food decisions. And it's interesting. I, I would I think plant based eating way of eating in women's sports has been much more pervasive than it has been in men because they never had that bro science around men and you know about men and meat. You know, I think half of that women's that World Cup women's soccer team was plant based, hmm. right? But um, you know, no one really talked about it. Um, and so, um, but again, I think it's the same the same thing. Women, young women, look up to these women athletes as role models. And, and so so when they see them performing at a high level, eating a, a plant based uh, diet, they want to emulate that. And so so I, I think that um, it's it's really parallels what's happening to some degree in in, uh, in 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 men's sports. Although I think it's probably a little bit easier to to for women, I think, to, to come on board because they're not there hasn't been this kind of bro science around men and need and testosterone and, and all that was outlined and, and at least partly addressed in the movie. Right. Any, any headway among the Nationals or the Redskins or the Capitals? No, not really. We, I haven't, we, um, 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 uh, not directly, but we have some plan. There's some plan. I know that James has some, there's some plans to really start to, to, um, uh, really start to, um, use, connections with some of these professional teams to to get the message out. Gotcha. All right. So um, what's on your horizon? What what are you looking forward to in 2020? Oh, same old thing. I mean, you know, we're, we're still working on expanding the clinic. Um, I'm probably going to, you know, I thought the Ironman was going to be one and done, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, probably not in 2020, though. Um, 
I've, I'm probably going to do a couple of halves. I, I, I have a dream about qualifying for the Boston Marathon. This is some personal goals. Well, that would be what three forty-five at age sixty. Yeah, somewhere in there. It's age sixty. It's it's. I think it's three fifty officially somewhere in there, but three forty-five is reasonable. I'd, I'd have to do some targeted training, but I think I could get there um, if uh-huh. with some with the if if I can stay healthy and um, um, a lot of speaking. You know, uh, I do a lot of public speaking all over the mm-hmm. world. Um, we were, I was in India for three weeks last summer. Med school speaking tour. Just got back from Saudi Arabia. Um, I speaking at some veg fest. So, so that's always fun. I, I love getting in front of an audience and sharing this message. Um, so it's going to be a bit, another busy year. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So speaking of audience, people watching and listening want to follow you and keep up with, with oh, your sure. work. How do they do that? Yeah. So, um, uh, on Instagram, I'm JF Loomis MD, although I'm, I'm a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, technologically, uh, I'm, I'm not very literate I'm in the Instagram game right now. Although I'm, I got to, uh, got to pick that up. That's the same handle on Twitter, um, and people can always follow me on Facebook as well. That's where I post most of my stuff. Um, all right, and your last name is spelled L O O M I S. Yes, sir. So, did they find you as James or Jim or Doctor? Or? It's uh, Jim Loomis, I think. There's a picture of me and my friend Karen Dugan teaching a cooking class, and then my. But background pictures me crossing the finish line in Iron Man, so it's hard to miss. Awesome! All right, um, I'll, I'll put all those in the show notes. All right, sounds and, great. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk. Maybe maybe we can find a race together. Yeah, that would be fabulous. I I thought I've already started to think. So so uh, your friend Josh and and then Jason mm-hmm. Cohen have were pushing me hard about um, an ultra in my future. Uh-huh. Uh, they've already here and they've already. Uh, agreed to, to Sherpa me and, and, uh, but there's something um, really freeing about not having to worry about a bicycle. <laughs> right, right, right. Or it's drowning in a lake or something yeah. like that. So, <laughs> so um, I, I've been, an ultra has certainly crossed my mind. And, and, um, um, so, you know, maybe a 50 K might be in the works. Uh, maybe I'll meet, uh, already I'll meet something. you at the, the Marine Corps 50 K next year. There we go for next year. Yeah. I'm, I'm already trying to think of something epic for my, you know, four or five years down the road when I turn 65. So, uh, you know, who, who knows, right? Maybe, mm. maybe a, Maybe a hundred k, right? Yeah, start getting in the lottery for Western states. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> all right. Did you hang? Did you hang with Scott Jurek at all during the film? Yeah, I did. He's such a great guy. One of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He, you know, he, and I've followed Scott for a long time. And I'd read one of the first couple of books I read was his book, and then and then Rich Roll's book. And I've gotten the pleasure of meeting both of them. What? What? They're great. It's just been. And so I have to pinch myself sometimes. Um, to, to what, mm-hmm. you know, because this is such an amazing community and, and uh, getting to know these people that I've always looked up to has been great. So, yeah. Now you're younger than them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. In five years, you'll be 25. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you got it. All right, Jim, thank you so much for, for all sure. you do for for the you know passionate and articulate way that you um, represent the truth and the movement and for taking the time today. Oh, thank you for having me, Howard. And we'll, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. All right. Be well. All right. What'd you think? Is this man an authority figure in the plant-based world? Should more people be listening to him? I think so. So uh, if you can help spread the message, share this podcast widely, I would certainly appreciate it. Jim would appreciate it. Lots of people would appreciate hearing his wisdom. And of course, get everyone you know to watch The Game Changers. 
Another way, of course, to support the mission of the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I would love another couple of reviews in the next few days, partly because there's this really weird review up on the site right now. I have a, a little plug-in on the website that uh, that shows the most recent reviews, and one of them calls me a, a Giga Chad, which which I think is some sort of weird internet meme thing that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Um, there is one review by WFPB Cyclist about the uh, interview with Dr. Mills that I did last week. It says, just listen to the interview. So thoughtful and worthwhile. Thank you for this challenging interview. This is how we learn so much. Appreciate it. Also, um, Veget Vegetalien from Australia says, I'm always raving about this podcast. I should have done a review ages ago because this is truly one of my favorite finds of the past couple of years. I only wish I discovered it sooner. The content is essential listening for anyone who cares about holistic health from a rigorous scientific perspective, combined with wisdom about the human psyche and a recognition of all that we have yet to learn. Oh, I love that sentence so much. I kind of want to get a tattoo. The content is excellent. I always learn something and take pleasure in the way Howard hosts the podcast. You can tell so quickly that he is not only razor sharp and extremely well informed, oh goodness, my ears are turning red, but is also a wise being and all around good person. We need more of this in the world. P.S. I'm a Brit who lives in Australia and it's still spot on in its relevance and appeal, even though it's from the U.S. I recommend it universally and wholeheartedly, and I am a supporter on Patreon because I get so much value from it. Thank you so much, Vegetalien, for everything that you wrote and for uh, your support, your financial support of the podcast as well. Not much garden news, but I do have some <laughs> sad running news. I went out on uh, over the weekend to do some mile repeats at a, a very easy, I thought, eight and a half minute pace. And by the third mile, I was in total anaerobic misery. And the fourth mile I could barely do. And uh, then I, I rested for a mile and then could turn it on again and did a, a sub eight for the last mile. But I realized I have not been doing my speed workouts. I've just been doing tempo runs and long runs, working out at the gym and so I realized that, you know, use it or lose it. If I don't do the speed work every single week, it's going to go away. So that's uh, one of my New Year's <laughs> semi-resolutions is to make sure that I do at least one speed workout a week. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to, of course, Will Ridenauer for composing Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace, and for letting me use it as the theme music for this podcast. Check out willridenauer.com for more. And thanks, of course, to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Let's do it uh, slowly and elegantly for the last podcast of this year. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bizek, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gillis, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Vunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable Harry R., 
Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, Linda Ayat, Julie Lang, Holm Hedekard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker Miracle, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hubble, Deb Casilla, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lenin, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganshi, Amy Daly, and Brian Tourville for your generous support of the podcast. Now, that includes patrons on Patreon and people who made one-time gifts. So if you're on that list and you feel like it's been too long, um, you can go to Patreon or PayPal or however, however you did it, birthday card with five bucks falling out of the envelope. Um that helps. It helps because it's, it's, it's a lot of names. But it turns out it's not that many dollars. It's uh, still around $700 a month, which is about a third of, of the full cost. So not complaining, though. This is the gratitude portion, as we know. All right. Well, everybody, that's it for this week. That's it for this month. That's it for this year. Uh, depending on when you start counting, that might be it for this decade. I'll see you in 2020. Let's do it. Let's take back the world from the darkness, from the encroaching fear. Let's be role models. Let's embrace all of ourselves, not just wallowing in misery, not just hiding in positivity. Let's feel it all. Let's move through it all. Let's join hands and work together to build the world that we want and that we want to leave to our children. All right, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barnes, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Viso, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, with Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Cartson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.